month where kids have been asked to dress up. We had Spirit Week one week. I'm trying to say this too fast. And then we had Red Ribbon Week this week. So in our home, that's approximately 30 different costumes for our kids to wear over the course of a month. We've been hobos, we've been hippies, we've been professionals, we've been twins, we've been nerds, we've been what? I mean, I, the list goes on and on and on. And we've tried to perfect the art of costumes within our home. You know how sometimes a costume, it just takes one or two things. Uh, they were cool kids the other day. So we had his hair gelled up in a mohawk and got one of dad's old gold chains out and put that on, you know, so he could be a cool kid. There's just those things that set a costume off. It's October 31st. And so I thought it would be appropriate or fitting to preach on a story in Scripture where we see people who wear costumes. Literally in, in Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at the story. It's in Joshua chapter 9. In Joshua, uh, just to give a little bit of history, we're going to read through this entire chapter this morning, is my plan. But to give a little bit of history on this chapter, Joshua is to succeed like the greatest leader of all time, Moses. And his job is to take Moses' people and inhabit the promised land that God had promised So he's commissioned to lead God's people into the promised land. And so that's where kind of we're at in this story. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, When all the kings of the west of Jordan heard about these things. So I'll pause there. What did they hear about? So Joshua began to lead God's people into the promised land. And he led them in. There were miracles that happened on the way. And then there were these incredible military victories that happened. Most of the kids probably know the story of Jericho. Uh, they defeated Jericho. They defeated I. I don't know if you're like me, so my, my upbringing might have been a little bit skewed. When I pictured the promised land, like I was picturing a couple pastures. So I, don't, I didn't picture this vast land. And so literally the promised land, what God promised Abraham was about 56,000 square miles of land. And so within 56,000 square miles, there were many kingdoms in this land. And so what happens before Joshua, chapter 9, is the kings of all of these kingdoms begin to hear about what God is doing through Israel. The story spreads pretty quick. It wasn't on Twitter or the internet then, but they got the information pretty quick. And they began to hear about how powerful the army of Israel was and what they did to Jericho and what they did in Ai. And so it says, the kings in the hill country... In the western foothills, along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, that's the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So the kings of all these kingdoms heard about how powerful Israel was. And so their choice was to combat this, let's all come together. So we're going to win this war with Rome. We're going to win this war as we, we, we unite. I mean, they're so powerful, they're so great. And so they're going to win it with, with, with brawn, with power. However, it says in verse 3, When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. So there were all these kings that came together and said, let's just, let's just form one big army and let's defeat the Israelites. But there was this one kingdom, and it's the people of Gideon. They came together and said, let's 
let's come up with a plan. Let's come up with a kind way to deceive the people of Israel. Let's develop a ruse. They went out with a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins. Cracked at them. They put worn and packed sandals on their feet. They wore old clothes. And, and the bread their food supply was dry and warm. You see what their life is. Alright, they got this scheme. We're going to treat these. We're going to get them over from a far, far away place. And we've been traveling all this way. When we left home, our shoes were brand new. The shirt that I'm wearing didn't have any, any, any tears in it. The wineskin, that was a, a new wineskin. And I mean, there was one dude in the back that said, hey, let's take this to the next level. I got the gold chain for your costume. It's so old, moldy bread. It's an old, moldy bread. Because their whole intent was, was to trick Israel. What are you tricking Israel into? They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So they heard about how powerful Israel was. And the whole point of everything they set out to do, the costumes that they put on, the old sandals that hurt their feet, the, 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 the one, I said feet, their feet, the, the old sandals, that, uh, or the, the shirts that were, they were supposed to be retired when they got out of high school, but they're still wearing them when they're 42 years old. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, those were the things that they were wearing to present themselves as one who had traveled from a very long way. Why? All they wanted was a treaty with Israel. They wanted Israel to say that they would not attack them. Their plan was to go before Israel and say, this is what we've done. Don't attack us. Verse 7. Verse 7 is, is incredible to me. There's about six different sermons I could preach on this chapter, and I'm going to put them all in one. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty? I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit was working in Israel. This is the moment that we all come to when we're the sea, where God begins to say, hey, this doesn't seem to add up. Why would they ask this question? Everything looks like it. It smells like it. They find it in shower either. So they stumped when they got there. And the reality is everything they see, hear, and know is this reality that they've traveled from a distant land. But the people of Israel, for some reason... Perhaps you haven't come from a very distant land. Perhaps you live, you live near us. They're asking this question. But look what happens in verse 8. We are your servants. The chapter of, the chapter of my, my sermon today is do not be deceived. I want to tell you that the easiest way for us to be deceived is for someone to smile at us. Let me get a what you want to hear. We're your servants. We're your servants, they said. Uh, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord and your God. I mean, look at the flattery that happens in these verses. So we're your servants, and we've heard about how good your God is. We've heard about the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard reports of him in all that he did in Egypt. In all that we get to the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Ah, king of Bashan, who reigned in Asherah. 
and our elders, and all those living in our country, said, take provisions for you on your journey. Go meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. You know, they come and they, they don't even just have the appearance, but they have the words. They know what to say. Guys, we've heard about you. We've heard about how cool your God is. We just want to be your servants. We heard about how you whipped Jericho's tail. In battle. We heard about your, your military victory line, and we just want to make a treaty with you. You're strong, you're powerful, your God is He's good. And we're your servants. Verse 11, I read it, but I'm going to read it again. Our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we're your servants, make a treaty with us. So here's where the, the ruse goes into action. This, this bread box was warm when we packed it at home. On the day we left, to come and meet you. But now, see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled, they were, they, were, they were new. See how cracked they are? Our clothes and our sandals are worn out by this very long journey. They, they put the ruse in action. They, they highlight, hey, look at the stains. On my shirt. Look at the, the, the wearing of my sandals. See where my toes sticking out where it's not supposed to stick out? I get it, sandals you wear. But anyway. Look at this. Taste this, this wine. It's in all the wine. That was a new wine when we left. And look at the bread. It was warm. I mean, just come out of Grandma's oven when we left to come on this journey. And now it's looking at the bread. Just Israelites in verse 14 sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. They sampled their provisions but they didn't inquire of the Lord. Now remember what happened, I think it was about verse 7, where they had this gut check in them, are you really from a distant land? But rather than seek the Lord, they decided to partake in what the deceivers were offering. Rather than seek God's counsel, to consult God, it says in other translations, they partook of what they were offering. They partook of the, the compliments. They partook of the, the, the flattery that was being demonstrated. They took a cup and they took some bread. Now, I, I just have a question. And I'll, I'll come back and we'll finish that. If I had a, a moldy loaf of bread. If I told you all I was going to get you to eat some of that bread today, you would say, there ain't no way. some moldy bread. They showed up. They, they were standing before the Israelites and suddenly because of deception, the Israelites were eating. They were eating stale moldy bread and drinking the old wine. Like seriously. They sampled their provisions. And there's something in that. Sometimes we're sampling provisions rather than consulting the Lord. 
Sometimes we think it's easier to eat the moldy bread than to seek the face of God. That'll preach. I preach it. That'll preach. Sometimes we're so consumed by, by the deception that we're not seeking God because we're overwhelmed with the moment that is before us and we're eating and drinking things that we never dreamed possible. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live it, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So the ruse is accomplished. We didn't consult the Lord. They signed a treaty. They made an oath before God. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. Well, there's two things I want to preach on. I'm going to, I'm going to pause right there. The first one is they made an oath, they made a treaty. The crazy thing is, and I'm not going to read the rest of this chapter. It's, it's, it's in your Bibles, and it's on the screen if you want to speed read it. I'll flip through real fast. But the reality is that as they learn that they made this treaty, they are bound by a covenant before God. It's crazy that, that what covenant is revealed in this context. The people, the army, are upset. They get upset with the leaders. They drop off and fight with the leaders of Israel because they show up and they're ready for another postal win in this battle that's before them. And then they find out that a treaty, a promise, has been made. An oath has been made. A covenant has been entered. And they can do nothing. It didn't matter. But they were lied to when the oath began. It didn't matter that this giant ruse was developed to trick them into this moment. What mattered was two parties agreed before God to a promise, and they were bound by that promise. That promise, if you were to look at it in Scripture, actually, they're bound by it for, for the existence of Israel. King Saul breaks that promise 300 to 350 years later. He attacks the Gibeonites, and you know what happens? There's famine in all of Israel because he broke the covenant that was agreed to in Joshua chapter 9. Dude, I'm telling you, we don't get covenant. Let's start. The covenant wasn't restored until literally King Saul, some of his kids were killed, and, and Israel repented for, for breaking the covenant, and then the famine was lifted on Israel. That's how powerful a covenant is. It wasn't about the, the grounds in which both parties were standing, whether one was deceived or not. They made a promise before God, and they were bound by that oath before Him. There's something there. It says three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. And ultimately what happens is that because they can't attack them, this is in the remaining parts of this chapter, that, that the people decide that instead of, uh, of killing them, they're just going to make them their slaves. And so the Gibeonites... The treaty is honored. There's peace. They get to stay in their home. But their requirement to stay in their home is they are the woodcutters and water gatherers for Israel. And I just want to say to someone in this place, you might have the greatest costume on today. Because I believe that there are many Gibeonites among us. 
Maybe not in this room, we're just all Israel, I guess, but there's many times where people are putting a front on, their ruse is cunning and wise. They know what to say, they know what to wear, they know when to be there, they know what to offer so they will believe their story. Three days later, the veil is lifted. I want someone in this room to hear if you're living as a Gideonite, one who has come up with the plan. You know what to say, you know how to say it, you know what's on the inside, you know how far you travel. I want you to hear this morning that your ruse will be revealed. It will be revealed. The Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 says it's alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything. You hear that? I don't care how good your costume is today. I don't care how well thought out and how perfectly planned the scheme that you're living in, the sin that you're hiding from, the, the things that you're concealing from, 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 the, from, from God or, or from His people, they will be found out because everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him who we must give an account. Your ruse will be revealed. Luke chapter 12, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I don't want to do some of us that these very things may challenge our hearts right now. What I said at home, what I said, what I thought in the car, what I did last night, no one in this place can know because they'll never like me. Scripture says it will be revealed. It will be proclaimed. Those whispers in, in, in the evening, they'll be revealed in the daylight. So if you're giving if you're trying to hide something, it ends in bondage. They were woodcutters, they were slaves for the rest of their life. That's what they got. Yeah, they got peace, they got their home, but they were woodcutters and slaves. That's where it will end. To others, I say, do not be deceived. It's a very real spiritual discipline that is taught in this chapter that was neglected in Joshua chapter 9, that I believe is neglected in 2021. You see, the problem is that we haven't worked on the discipline of discernment. We haven't spent intentional times focusing on what it means to truly discern what the Spirit of God is saying, to discern the situation that we're living in and allow ourselves to be guided by God and respond to what He says. 
I want to tell you there is a necessity for discernment in the season that we're living. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the, the Messiah. They will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be uh, earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginnings of the birth pains. I'm telling you, every child of God, you are called to discern what you see I appreciate that you call me pastor, but discern what I say and make sure because there's moments where Steve's flesh comes out and I say something that I shouldn't have said. There's moments where, where we speak from ourselves where we're not speaking from God. And, and your job, child of God, someone who's in the body of Christ, is that you should weigh what you hear. You should evaluate what, what's presented to you. You should listen to God when He says, Hey, are you sure there's a bar I am? That kind of sounds like a dude down the street. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying to get crazy on people. I'm not saying to, to pull the God card all the time. But there are times when someone comes and talks to you and they've got their hair made up all pretty and their makeup's in the right place and they've got the nice clothes on and they, and they can say the right things and they can smile at you. But you know inside there's something going on in their heart. And rather than eating the moldy bread, seek the face of God. And then if you tell you to eat your bread, eat your bread. But be guided by Him. First Timothy chapter 4 says, In the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. We are living in a season where it's imperative to discern. There are so many things that are out there that are said that sound so good. It sounds right. It almost looks right. I mean, the dots are connected. But when you hear there's just a little bit of dissonance in you that says, I don't think that's the full picture. When culture and teachers and Twitter and Facebook and others begin to tell us what we should believe and how we should respond and what love is and, and how we love, we should listen to the voice that's inside of us. And everybody else seems to be walking around. They got a real good following doing that. The church down the street, they changed everything up, and it's working for them, so let's just go ahead and do what, what, what they're doing. Let's start teaching what they're teaching, because apparently there's some, some good fruit in that. There's a lot of people coming to their services. And we start to sample that. We start to adjust that. Well, Greg's been in the perfect life. He's blessed and everything is wonderful and everything is good. So man, I just need to follow him. No, there's something in us. God has placed his spirit within his children that helps us to recognize truth. 
2 Timothy 3. For mark this, there will be terrible kind in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The mandate from Scripture is what? Had nothing to do with those people. Well, how do I know that? I've got to discern that. I've got to recognize the one who has a form of godliness but a denying his power. And I've got to know that I can't sample or enter an oath with them before God because it's just going to bring bondage and trouble for me for generations to come. Because the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. Two myths. I'm not saying that the end of the world is coming tomorrow, but I'm saying that we're living in a time where people are turning from godly teaching. There's time. We're living in a time where people are gathering around others who, who will teach them what itching ears want to hear. We're living in a time where pastors are preaching. There's not a real hell. We're living in a time where pastors are telling us that sin is not defined in Scripture. We're living in a time where people say there's many ways to, to eternity, but there's one way, that's Jesus Christ. And you and I are responsible for what we follow. You and I are responsible for where we align ourselves. That's a discipline of discernment that God has called His people to live in. Who's accountable for your discernment? God's not going to hold me accountable for who you follow. You're responsible for who you follow. Beyond the church that you attend, beyond the podcast that you listen to, beyond the books that you're reading. It's your responsibility. You're the one who will stand before God when all things are uncovered and give an account for the good and the bad. You're the one who will stand before Him and say, God, this is why. I don't want Joshua 9 7. Standing out in my story. I know Joshua 9.14 defining me where I sampled the provisions rather than sought the Lord. And I want to look back and see the moments, all those moments that God showed me. He, he, he highlighted to me that maybe things just weren't adding up, but I ignored them because someone flattered me and they said the right things to me. And they said, man, Pastor, you were doing an awesome job in Crawford. And things were growing. And things were going great. You had influence. And you were making impact. But God wanted me to change directions, but I couldn't listen because I was part of the ruse. Joshua chapter 9. 
do not be deceived. We've been talking a lot this week about discipleship in different areas that I've been in. And one of the things that, that I've recognized about discipleship is there is discipline at times in discipleship. There are things that when they're brought before us and we hear them, and maybe they begin to resonate with our heart, that I encourage you to press into. Well, how do I discern? Well, that's going to be the whole process that we have to walk through together. Discernment isn't easy at times. Discernment can be almost impossible. I'm sitting here this morning and I remember a season in my life where, where there was a gentleman in my youth ministry who took advantage of kids. And I had no idea. And police are looking at me and saying, well, wasn't this a warning sign? And I'm saying, that was perfect. Because I don't think that when it comes to spiritual disciplines, I don't know that we talk about we talk about the discipline of fasting, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of study. But what about the discipline of discernment? What about hearing when God speaks? What about recognizing when, when a circumstance or a situation is set before you and He needs you to do something you would never dream of doing? This morning, as, as we conclude the service, I want to I want to open up the altars, and probably for three different ways. One is before we conclude this service today, we need to pray for Sean. Sean lost her husband, and she needs all the prayers in the world right now. And so I want to take a moment his body and pray for her. I meant to do that before I got involved in my sermon, but I was too excited. After we pray for Sean, I want to open the altars. And there may be some here that say, Pastor, I just, I just want you to pray that I have ears to hear. I want praise that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive. I want my eyes to be aware. I want to be able to discern. There might be some in this room today that said, Man, Pastor, when you were talking about the Gideonites, I was right there. I knew exactly what you were talking about. I knew what it meant to put forth a, a, a presentation of someone that I'm not. I've been doing it for years. I've been doing it for, for, for decades. And I figured it all out. I got stale, moldy bread, worn out things. Just so people believe the words. If you're in that position this morning, I want an opportunity. What do you have to do? Just take off the costume. I'm telling you, if there's not a safer place than a sanctuary in a church to stand vulnerable before God, I don't want to be part of this thing. There's not a place that people can't rally around you and stand with you in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your differences, than this place, then we're not doing this right. Just take it off. Confess before God your true identity. And you know what he said? It's about what they do with new creation. Because you told me what was, you told me the, the things that you've been hiding. I this day, God says, I want to make you a new creation in me. All that was, it's gone. And all that's before you is today. 
situation in your life. And you just need pastor to pray with you. I want to open the altars up at this time to be able to pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you this morning for this word. God, these, these moments, we want to lift up Shauna before you. God, the promise of God who has been hurt. God, every very real hurt that she's experiencing. The, the anger, the frustration, the doubts, the fears. I pray for your Holy Spirit. I pray for the one whom you sent to comfort. God, I pray that you would surround Shauna with, with friends, with family, with the body of Christ that will lift her up, that will walk with her, that will carry the load with her. And God, the miracle of peace, the miracle of joy, the miracle of life would be revealed in her. God, for us in this room, the words that we've heard the examples that were given, God, whether we need to grow in discernment or whether we need to lay things before the very throne of God. I pray, Lord, that you would highlight to us in this moment what you're speaking. That if we've been busy sampling provisions rather than seeking God, you will change our hearts. That if we've been tossed to and fro by every teaching that comes along, Lord, that we would recognize what you're speaking to us. Give us, God, the discernment that we have. whether it's to repent and change or to, to ask for God to help you with discernment. The altars are open. Where you're at, listen to God and respond to Don't just come to the altar because pastor says to. If God is speaking to you where you are, stay where you are and do what he's saying. But listen to his voice. To someone, he may be saying, you need to get up to the altar so that it's a life-changing moment for you. Respond to his voice. God is good, amen. amen. Don't be deceived. He's given you his spirit to indulge you. He's the author of truth. You can be a truth. The Lord bless you and keep you. May, may his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may turn his face towards you and grant you his face. And may you seek him and not sample. Some more Amen? Amen. Amen. We bless you.